first thing I need to tell you this morning is I messed up in Lesson 210. And I need to just make this note. It's back in Chapter 9, Verse 13 where we were talking briefly about the um, sequence of events in Revelation. And that particular verse is where the sixth trumpet starts. And at the time I prepared that lesson, I, I thought that that sixth trumpet was kind of a spiritual picture of the Battle of Armageddon. And you can read it like that. You can interpret it like that. But the more I've worked through the material, the more I think that that is just a separate judgment. And the reason I think that is because at the bottom of the description of that in verse 20, it says, The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands, did not stop worshiping demons, did not repent of their murders or anything else. Well, if it was the Battle of Armageddon, there wouldn't have been any time for them to repent because that was the end, okay, because Christ came in the middle of that one. So I have, I recant. (laughs) And I have gone back on the web and I've corrected the materials and the audio that was uploaded to the web for that lesson, but I know that many people have downloaded their own versions and stuff. And so if you, if you have Lesson 210 on your computer somewhere, you might want to go re-download it. Um, or else just make a note in your materials that I messed up there. Okay? And, and have, have changed my mind. And, I, and that brings up something else. And that is, as I've been finishing up the series, I've realized what a mess I made of organizing Revelation for you. (laughs) And I could do such a better job organizing this the second second time through. So if I ever do this class again, it will will have the same material, but it will be organized a lot better. And I I appreciate y'all being the guinea pigs for this first this first time through, it, it, uh, it's all in there, but I don't know how you followed it. That's, that's a fact. But at any rate, today we um, are going to pick up where we left off. Last week, we were in the Battle of Armageddon. Right at the middle of that battle, when things looked the worst for Israel, Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, appeared with all of the hosts of heaven. With, with the saints, the dead were raised, the, the saints that were still alive were raptured, and Jesus came to earth. Now, this is not good news for the Antichrist. And we're going to pick up with what happened to the Antichrist. Look at Revelation 19, verses 20 and 21. And the beast, who is the Antichrist, was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two, that's the beast, the Antichrist and the false prophet, were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. That's the second death. The one that's eternal. This is, the, this is not the abyss. This is the forever one. Okay. And the rest were killed with the sword which 
which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, that would be Jesus, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now, this little passage, this little two verses in Revelation is probably the understatement of the century (laughs) as to what happened here. And we know a whole lot more about what happened in Ezekiel chapter 39. Now, this this week, your handout is entirely scripture references. It's much thicker than usual because this is a part of Revelation where Revelation gives even less detail than Daniel does. And so we have to go to other places in Scripture to pick up what's, what's going, the details about what's going on. Ezekiel chapter 39. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. The exact identities of the names of these kings is not clear. You, will go, you have the entire spectrum of scholars from somebody who knows for sure who this is exactly to someone who says there's no way you could possibly know who any of these guys are. Okay? And everything in between. So I kind of vote for we don't really know for sure. But Gog, we do know, is like a title, like Pharaoh. Okay, so like Pharaoh is king of Egypt and it doesn't matter who it is. It can be a different person at different times. It's just the name of the king. Well, Gog would be the king of Magog, the land of Magog. We also know that Gog in this passage is not the Antichrist. Because, and the way we know it is because I already read ahead in Revelation. And this same king, um, the same land, not the same person, but Gog, and Magog play a role at the end of the thousand-year reign. So we know the Antichrist got terminated at the beginning of the, beginning of the thousand-year reign. So we know he is not Gog. Okay? Gog is somebody, a Gentile, a, one of the Gentile nations. So let's go on. Verse 2. And I will turn you around. He's, this is the Lord talking to Gog. I will turn you around, drive you on, take you up from the remotest parts of the north, And bring you against the mountains of Israel. So we know that wherever Magog is, it's in the extreme north. Further north than where the Antichrist would have come from. I will strike your bow from your left hand and dash down your arrows from your right hand. You will fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the people who are with you. I will give you as food to every kind of predatory bird and beast of the field. Now that we've seen that prophesied several times in Revelation and other places. You recognize that one. You will fall on the open field, for it is I who have spoken, declares the Lord God. And I will send fire upon Magog and those who inhabit the coastlands in safety, and they will know that I am the Lord. So not, not only is he going to get destroyed there, he and his troops and the people that came with him to attack Jerusalem, but his land, the coastlands, there's going to be widespread destruction at this point. Verse 7, my holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And the nations, that's all the Gentile nations, will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is coming and it shall be done, declares the Lord God. This is the day of which I have spoken. Now, this is God saying, once again, I've been telling you and telling you and telling you about the day of the Lord. This is it. Read my lips. This is the day of the Lord. This is, this is God saying, this is the one we're talking about. And we know that that 
specific day, not the whole period, but that specific day is the day Jesus comes. Okay, at the Battle of Armageddon. Verse 9. Then those who inhabit the cities of Israel will go out and make fires with the weapons and burn them. This is after Gog has been defeated. Both shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, war clubs and spears. And for seven years they will make fires of them. They will not take wood from the field or gather firewood from the forest. For they will make fires with the weapons. They will take the spoil of those who despoiled them. And seize the plunder of those who plundered them, declares the Lord God. On that day, I will give Gog a burial ground here in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will block off those who, will pa- who would pass by. So they will bury Gog there with all his horde, and they will call it the valley of Haman Gog. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Even all the people of the land will bury them. It will be to their renown on the day that I glorify myself, declares the Lord God. They will set apart men who will constantly pass through the land, burying those who were passing through, even those left on the surface of the ground, in order to cleanse it. And at the end of seven months, they will make a search. As those who pass through the land pass through and anyone sees a man's bone, he will set up a marker by it until the barriers have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. And even the name of the city will be Hamona, and they will cleanse the land. That's, that's a big battle with a lot of dead folks left over. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, Speak to every kind of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble and come. Gather from every side to my sacrifice, which I am going to sacrifice for you as a great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. He's talking to the, like the vultures here. You will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, as though they were rams, lambs, goats, and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. So you will eat fat until you are glutted, this is gross, and drink blood till you are drunk from my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. You will be glutted at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men and all the men of war, declares the Lord God. This is really gross and gory, but it just demonstrates the utter power of God and the fact that when his tolerance and patience comes to an end it comes to an end verse 21 and I will set my glory among the nations and all the nations will see my judgment which I have executed and my hand which I have laid on them I want you to remember that verse I didn't bold it but I want you to highlight it or star it or something because a little later in this lesson we're going to talk about The judgment of the Lord on the Gentiles. And this is a reference that seems to indicate that at the battle of Armageddon, when Christ comes and these Gentile nations are destroyed, that this was a judgment on them and it was executed. Okay. And the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God from that day onward. The nations will know, this is the Gentile nations, will know that the house of Israel went into exile for their iniquity because they acted treacherously against me. And I hid my face from them. So I gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and all of them fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I dealt with them, and I hid my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. 
Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. They will forget their disgrace and all their treachery which they perpetrated against me when they live securely on their own land with no one to make them afraid. When I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I shall be sanctified through them in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God because I made them go into exile among the nations and then gathered them again to their own land. And I will leave none of them there that's out in the nations any longer. I will not hide my face from them any longer. For I will have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. So that's a huge Old Testament prophecy that gives us a whole lot of detail about the battle of Armageddon, its aftermath, and the first part, the first few days, certainly the first seven months, of the millennial kingdom. It tells us they're burying the dead from the battle. The Gentile nations are recognizing God. And the, and the Jews are being gathered from all over the world. Go to, uh, back to Revelation chapter 20. It also means the Jews are recognizing him. It's a very big. That's kind of been the point of the whole thing, right? <laughs> We, we get to tag along, but the point of the whole thing is for the Jews to finally recognize. So, verse, chap, verse 1, chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. Now, we remember that the abyss is where spirits are held and tormented, right? It's a temporary place. And he laid hold of the dragon. Who was the dragon? He's going to tell us. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they, he doesn't say who, okay, but we know from previous studies that it's certainly the apostles. You've already got 24 elders up there in heaven already sitting on thrones. And we also know that the saints are going to reign. So the saints are part of the sitting on throne part, part of the they. They sat on them, and judgment was given to them. Now that's a very comforting statement. Judgment was given to them. It's a gift. I would be a horrible judge right now. I don't, want, I don't want to be a judge of anybody, anything. You know, when he tells me the saints are going to judge, it scares the living daylights out of me. All right? The only way that can happen is for God to make it a gift for us at that time. And here's where he says he does. They sat on the thrones and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This we've talked about this verse a little bit in terms of, you know, identifying who's resurrected. And I think from 
I've shown you from elsewhere in, in the New Testament and Scripture, Old Testament also, that all of the saints get resurrected in that first resurrection. But what, right here, John is listing the people he's seen in his dream. He's listing people he's seen in his vision. Okay, And I think that's why they're singled out here. He said, oh, I recognize them. Oh, I recognize them. And look, there's the people who didn't receive the mark of the beast. That's how I interpret this. You can also build a strong case for saying that only those um, tribulation martyrs were resurrected and that all the rest of us get resurrected at the end of the thousand years. You know, you're going to have to decide for yourself on this one. I personally think all of us get resurrected at the same time in the first resurrection. Although we've read this, you know, before, the important part to focus on for this lesson is that it says they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is not a reign in heaven. This is a reign on earth. Daniel saw this um, day in one of his visions. Look at Daniel 7 verse 21. I kept looking and that horn, that's the Antichrist, was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the Ancient of Days, that would be God, came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Now, here's another little passage to kind of star because it says that when God came... This judgment was passed. Okay, so the Antichrist has been judged. Presumably the Gentile nations with him are judged at that point. But that's, you know, one of the things we're looking at in this lesson. And the Antichrist has been thrown in the abyss. And the saints are given what? Possession of the kingdom. Okay. Now, Daniel never differentiated between saints of the tribulation and all the rest of the saints. So this is one of the passages that I believe supports the fact that all of the saints participate in this. Daniel also saw that the Antichrist would be utterly destroyed, but the Gentile nations of the world still exist. Yes, millions were killed and are buried in Haman Gog now, as we saw from Ezekiel. But there's all these other you know, Gentile nations out there that did not come to this battle or their nation may have participated in the battle but when you, the United States goes to battle do we all go? No. We send our military men. But there's a whole hierarchical structure of nations left all over the world. Okay? Even though all the nations came against Jerusalem. You see the distinction there? Okay. So one of the things that Christians very often don't realize is that even though Christ comes and Israel recognizes him as God, there's still other people out there. It, there are still Gentile unbelievers. There's also Jewish unbelievers that we're going to see in a minute. Look at what Daniel said. And we, Daniel also confirms this. Daniel chapter 7 verse 11. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn, the Antichrist, was speaking. And I kept looking until the beast, that's the whole kingdom of the Antichrist, was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire, which we now know to be the second death, right? Okay, from Revelation. As for the rest of the beast, that's the rest of the Gentile kingdoms, their dominion was taken away. Okay, their right to rule was taken away. 
but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed time. So this is during the millennial kingdom is when this occurs. So there are non-believers living out there during the millennial There are non-believers living out there during the millennial kingdom. People don't realize that. Now hang with me. I'm going to give you a whole lot more proof of that. Okay. Um, there are several immediate changes that take place. For one thing, the sun and moon have been darkened. Remember that? Now, that may be permanently. A lot of people think that's a permanent thing. I kind of think it's just during that day of the Lord period that that happens, during that whole big battle. Um, But here's what Isaiah says, Isaiah 34, verse 1. Draw near, O nations, to hear, and listen, O peoples. Let the earth and all it contains hear, and the world and all that springs from it. For the Lord's indignation is against all the nations and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. So their slain will be thrown out and their corpses will give off their stench and the mountains will be drenched with their blood and all the host of heaven will wear away, which we've studied before is both, you know, it's the stars, but it's also almost always referring to also the spiritual hosts. And the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine or as one withers from the fig tree. So I take that whole passage to mean, yes, sun and moon are going to be darkened. I absolutely believe that on the, on the day of the Lord. I kind of think they still exist and that we continue to have days and nights after that. And one of the reasons is because a little later on there's reference to rain and, and, and drought, okay, which would be a little difficult without a sun. <laughs> um, but but um, I also think that this tells us that this great battle, which if you haven't got this yet, was not just a physical battle. It was a spiritual battle. The, he- the heavenly hosts came with Christ and battled the evil heavenly hosts, right? The, the, the evil spirits of Satan. So there's been not only a great drenching of blood on earth, but there's been a great massacre, if you will, in, in, in the spiritual realm as well. And I think that's what it's saying when it says the heavenly hosts have been rolled back like a scroll. Okay. Um, Zechariah 14, verse 6. In that day, and he's talking about that, that last day, that, that day that Jesus comes, there will be no light. The luminaries will dwindle, for it will be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But it will come about that at evening time there will be light. And in that day, living waters will flow out of Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea and the other half toward the western sea. It will be in summer as well as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name. The only one. Okay. Now, at first, you've got the terrible stench of death. You got dead from that battle all over the place. And not only do you have the people who died from the battle, you have people who died from a plague that the Lord struck them with. Look at Zechariah 14:12. We've read this. You'll, you'll remember it. Now, this will be the plague which the Lord will strike all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongue will rot in their mouth. 
It does sound, it sounds like, it sounds atomic, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Nuclear. Very interesting. It will come about in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them, and they will seize one another's hand, and the hand of one will be lifted against the hand of the another. So also like this plague will be the plague on the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey, and all the cattle that will be in those camps. In addition to the, the, the plague and the death, the topography of the land of Israel will have changed because there will have been a huge earthquake. Zechariah 14.10 All the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimmon south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. People will live in it and there will no longer be a curse for Jerusalem will dwell in security. Now, the Gentile nations at this point have noticed that Jesus is Lord. It is unmistakable. Jesus himself told us that many times. Don't, and, and Paul certainly said, don't worry about missing this. It, it, will, <laughs> it will be unmistakable when Jesus comes. The Gentile nations begin to stream towards Jerusalem and towards Israel to see the Lord, to worship the Lord. This is all over the Old Testament. I only gave you a couple of little excerpts. Isaiah 2, 2. Now it will come about in, that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. And it will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Now, this is talking about most likely mountain, not only in the physical sense, but mountain in the kingdom sense. Remember, we studied about how a mountain symbolic, symbolized a, a kingdom. The, the, the kingdom of the Lord will be greater than all the kingdoms on earth. But there will still be kingdoms on earth. All the nations will stream to it. You see, there are still nations on earth. And many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. So we, we won't need our, our, our human judges anymore. The Lord is going to establish justice, finally. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. Zechariah 14:16. Then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. Isaiah 66:23. And it shall be from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all mankind will come to bow down before me, says the Lord. Then they will go forth after, listen, after they worship the Lord in Jerusalem, then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched and they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. 
Now, the first order of business, in addition to burying the dead, will be to gather the remnant of Israel to Jerusalem from wherever they may be. If you look at, at um, Romans 9.27, I think, uh, we're not going to look at it right now, but it refers to the fact that even though Israel is as the sands of the seashore, as promised to Abraham, only a remnant will actually be saved. Many of them died, right? But, but many of them still reject their Savior, okay? It, just because you're Jewish doesn't mean you automatically believed, okay? There is, however, a core, a seed, a remnant that is the true Israel, okay, that do believe. Even if they never believed before, they believe now, okay? And, that, and, and so what happens next is all of the Jews, good, bad, righteous, unrighteous, believers, unbelievers, are gathered to Israel, to, to, the, to Jerusalem. Here's what it says, Isaiah 66:20. Then they shall bring all your brethren. This is the, the Gentile nations helping. They, they, the Gentile nations, shall bring all your brethren from all the nations as a grain offering to the Lord on horses, in chariots, in litters, on mules, and on camels to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the son of, sons of Israel bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. Notice how physical this is. This is another myth that Christians believe that Jesus comes and we all turn into fairies. Okay? We, we don't. Jesus comes and, and we live on earth. Okay? Jesus comes and Jews cannot just beam me up, Scotty, to Jerusalem. Okay? They have to be carried in trains and cars and horses and what. And, and if they're sick, they're carried in ambulances. You know? But every single Jew is found all over the world, and the Gentiles find them and bring them to the Lord. Now, Ezekiel 20, verse 33, tells us what happens to them. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and with wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God." Pause there. When he says wrath poured out, I believe that what he's saying is I have poured my wrath out. Okay, we saw that. All these plagues and judgments and on and on. He has poured his wrath out. And he's saying now that I have poured my wrath out, I am gathering you for judgment. Verse 37. I will make you pass under the rod. This is a reference to an incident in Genesis in which... Um, Jacob had been tending the flocks of his father-in-law for years and years and years and years. And his father-in-law had been cheating him for years and years and years and years. And finally, they had come to an agreement that Jacob could leave and he could take with him the speckled sheep. Okay, All the sheep that looked blemished, basically. And so Jacob caused all of the herds of his father-in-law to pass under his shepherd's rod so he could separate them out. 
the, the, uh, the white and unblemished sheep from the speckled sheep or the black sheep from the ones that are speckled. And so Jacob got to keep the speckled ones. This is what the Lord, that was a parable for Israel to remember. And this is what the Lord is doing with them. He says, I'm gathering you all. I will make you pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. And I will purge from you the rebels and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn, out of the Gentile nations, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. Now he doesn't say he kills them. He doesn't say he annihilates them. He doesn't say he does anything to them except judge them. This is a judgment of separation. There's no punishment attached to it other than the fact that they are excluded from coming home to Israel. Okay? They've been brought right to the very doorstep and they're not allowed in. But the remnant is allowed in. Jesus told the apostles at least that they would participate in this particular judgment. Now, it may also be all of the saints who participate in this particular judgment. I don't know. Let's read what Jesus said. Look at Luke 22, verse 28. You, these talking to his apostles, are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So, we know the apostles do. Many Christian expositors interpret that to mean that all of the saints, you know, those who believed before this point and have been resurrected, also judge Israel. I'm less sure about that, but it's not specific. So, this is another one where you have to decide for yourself. Or just leave it open. You know, it's actually safer to just leave it open. Because um, you tend to see the things you expect to see. And it's better when you don't know to realize there's a reason for him not being very specific and just leave your mind open. It's going to happen. It doesn't matter. How it, it is going to happen. That's right. So we know from all of this that there will still be wicked people on the earth. Satan is bound in the abyss, Right. He can't tempt people anymore, but there are people who have already made this choice and they still live. And they live on earth. Listen to what the Lord himself says in one of the most famous messianic prophecies in the Bible. Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is God talking to Jesus. The Lord will stretch forth. The Lord God will stretch forth your, that's Jesus's, strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. That particular psalm is quoted several times in the New Testament in relation to Jesus. Now, there are still enemies on earth. One specific spiritual enemy that is still on earth is death. Death has not yet been conquered at this point. Satan has only been put in the abyss temporarily. Heaven and earth have not yet passed away and not everyone has been resurrected yet. Certainly the wicked dead we know for sure have not been resurrected. Okay, There are still enemies on earth. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.22. For as in Adam all die, 
so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. That's another reason, you know, I think we're all there and all ruling. Okay. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is death. So that tells us the spiritual purpose of the thousand year reign. It's to bring all of the enemies of God under his rule. Why, why, do you think, why else do you think it says he's going to rule them with a rod of iron? If we were all on his side, there would be no reason for a rod of iron, right? There would be no reason for the prophecies that talk about crushing, okay? It's, this, is, this is not all hunky-dory out there. It's wonderful in Jerusalem. <laughs> it's wonderful for the saints, and it's wonderful for the remnant of the Jews. But there are still people out there who are resisting. The abyss has not been swallowed up yet we know Hades has not been swallowed up yet death still has a sting but its sting is fading listen to what's happening on the mountain of Israel of of mountain of the Lord in Isaiah 65 19 I will also rejoice in in Jerusalem and be glad in my people and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying no longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days Or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100. And the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. They, the Jews, will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. All my holy mountain. Didn't say the whole world. Okay. Said all my holy mountain. Death is not conquered. There is still death. It says right there, people are, even the Jews are still going to die, but not until their lifespan has been restored to what basically it was at the beginning of Genesis. Remember that? Okay. You had a question. Yeah. Where do people die, people that are dying, where do they go? Well, heaven and the abyss and Hades all still exist at this point. So where they're going hasn't changed at all. The resurrection of the saints has taken place. So when saints die, and there are all the saints are there, right? All the saints are here. That's right. They're, they're resurrected, and they've already received imperishable bodies. Okay? They don't have dying bodies so at this point. The question is, do the good people who die during this time frame go to heaven, get imperishable bodies, and come right back? Okay, and I think, what's the deal on this? Scripture is not specific. It certainly could happen that way. Okay, it absolutely could happen that way. It's more likely that they're part of the second resurrection, which occurs at the end of the thousand year reign, when everybody gets resurrected, including the wicked dead.
So you have two choices. Okay. So okay. The people that are there have died and were in heaven and came back. Plus the people that are on earth. The people that are trying to follow you. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. We've got a lot. And this is, this is important. Okay. We've got, when we go into the millennial kingdom, right. all right, we've got wicked dead in Hades, mm-hmm. right? We've got righteous dead in heaven. Mm-hmm. And we have people living on earth right. who are just regular old human beings, right? Okay. So when Jesus comes, the righteous dead from heaven receive their imperishable bodies, okay, and come to earth. They receive imperishable bodies so they can live on earth. I mean, they have to be physical to be here, okay? They're not going to be ghosts. Um, They're coming in bodies, which they didn't need really in heaven, okay? So they're getting their imperishable bodies. The wicked dead are still wicked dead in Hades, okay? Now, at this point, we have a very different looking earth because we've got an earth that's been utterly ruined from the tribulation that needs to be renewed. We've got a hot spot of renewal in Israel. Okay. Now, all the people who were already alive on earth are still out there living, dying, eating, drinking. These people were not Christians at the time. These were not Christians at the time. Could be becoming becoming. (laughs) Christians, right? Okay. And that's my opinion from the way this reads. Many people believe that there is no more choice after that, and they don't have a choice to become Christians at that point. Okay? I don't know. You know, I think we worship a merciful God. But, and if they happen to be alive at that point, I kind of figure they still have a choice. But, but I do know that there are people out there dying. Okay? Because they're in perishable bodies. At that point, I would assume... That nothing has changed for them. Heaven did not go away. It's just, you know, we all came here. Now, I believe that part of the imperishable bodies, and we may talk about this next week maybe, but part of the, what an imperishable body does for you is I believe you can pass easily between heaven and earth. Okay? I know that we know the angels do, right? From all the scripture. So I believe that, these, that heaven is not empty. I think we're just all going back and forth all the time. It's all kind of one and the same to us. It's like crossing the ocean to Europe, you know, like Jesus did when he came back. That's right, where he could come and go at will. I think that's part of what comes along with the imperishable body package. Okay, um, There's no reason for there to be a separation between heaven and earth for those who who have imperishable bodies. So heaven exists. I still think there's folks there, you know. People are dying here on earth. They either go to heaven or they go to Hades, one or the other. Okay. Now, I assume that the only people left on earth who could go to heaven would be those who converted after Jesus came. Because if you were already a Christian, you got raptured, Right. At that point. Now, that brings up a point of theology where there is a difference of opinion. Many people believe you cannot, after Jesus comes, become a Christian. You've already made your choice. Therefore, if you believe that, you think anybody that dies goes to Hades and is awaiting the second resurrection. I think either one you believe, they're waiting for the second resurrection. 
There's only, I think there's only two resurrections, the first one and the second one. So at the, this point, there is no judgment. I think at this point, there is not the judgment of life. Okay? Not the great white throne judgment where, it's set, where you know, you either get life or you get eternal fire. That has not happened yet, definitely. That happens at the end of the thousand-year reign. Okay? Helpful? All right. <laughs> okay, let's see. Where were we? Um, no evil or harm in all the holy mountain. Now, the mountain of the Lord in, in Israel is going to be a very special place. Zechariah 14:20. In that day there will be inscribed on the bells of the horses, Holy to the Lord. And the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like bowls before the altar. Every cooking pot in Jerusalem and Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts. And Joel 3.17. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. So Jerusalem will be holy, and strangers will pass through it no more. So we've got the remnant of the Jews who do get a chance to believe at this point. That's clearly scriptural. Okay. They believe when they see Jesus coming because they are identified as the remnant. They have, still have perishable bodies, but their health has been restored. Their lifespan has been increased. Okay? So that's another reason why when they die, presumably they go to heaven, right? To await the second resurrection. So we've had the Jews who were gathered for judgment and which was a judgment of separation. Remember, Does, will the Gentiles escape? If the Jews are judged, will the Gentiles escape? No, never. What you have to decide, though, is whether you think there's a judgment of punishment for the Gentiles at this point. Let's look at a couple of, of verses. Joel 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem... I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. Okay, for one thing, we don't know exactly where this, this valley is. The, the name Jehoshaphat literally means Yahweh shall judge. Okay, And a little later in this same passage, it's called the Valley of Decision. So it could be that this name is simply a name of what ha- takes place there as opposed to the physical place. Okay, The name of the physical place. The second thing is to notice what's happening here. Because this, the timing of this says it is happening when the Lord judges on behalf of his people who have been scattered. Okay, so at this point, the Jews are still scattered, presumably. Okay, and are, I guess, this is at the moment that they're starting to be regathered. It's somewhere in that time frame. It doesn't say exactly. Look at verse 7. Behold, I am going to arouse them, that's the Jews, from the place where you have sold them and return your recompense on your head. So basically, he's going to say, you know what? You did to them. I'm going to give them a chance to do to you. Okay. Also, I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the sons of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, a distant nation. For the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare a war. Rouse the mighty men. Let all the soldiers draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a mighty man. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves here. 
Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. That passage and the ones that follow make it sound like the decisions are made when, the, when they decided to come to battle. And that the battle of Armageddon is where the Lord sat in judgment. That's what I think Okay, this says. Verse 13. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth tremble. But the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. So, there you go. I think they're, the, they're judged at the battle of Armageddon for coming to the battle of Armageddon. So, I think the judgment of the Gentiles has passed, just like the wrath has been poured out on Israel already. I, I can't see any reason for another judgment on the Gentiles after that. They've pretty much been through it by this time. But if they... You know, if if your theology and your interpretation is such that you don't believe they've been judged yet, then now's the time to do it because this is when when during the millennial kingdom it would happen if it hasn't happened already. The next order of business will be the restoration of the holy place that was desecrated by the Antichrist. Um, in Daniel 8:13, remember he heard a holy one speaking, and another more holy one said to that particular one who was speaking, "How long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply, while the transgression causes horror? That would be the Antichrist, you know, setting up the abomination, so as to allow both the holy place and the host to be trampled." And he said to me, "For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored." Now you can look back at the timelines that you've got. Um, from Daniel and you can see that our best guess from those timelines and, and, and they're not real specific about this but the best guess is it looks like the holy place is restored about 30 days after the coming of Christ if, you know, if we made the right assumptions on that timeline there's also an extensive passage spanning several chapters in Ezekiel that describes the new temple in Jerusalem and talks about the allotment of the land in Jerusalem and in Israel to the various tribes. We read some of that. Remember when we read about the allotment to the sons of Zadok a few, few uh, lessons ago? So this is when that happens. And that's all in, you know, some of that we read from Ezekiel 48. But if you want to read the, all the gory detail about the temple and everything, go read the chapters around Ezekiel 46, 47, 48 around, around in there. This ushers in a period of great blessing for Israel, which we have studied in detail in in a couple of former lessons. So we're just going to hit the high points here. And the Holy Spirit falls on all of them, on the remnant. Uh, Ezekiel 39, 29. I will not hide my face from them any longer, for I will have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Joel chapter 2, 26. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who is dealt wondrously with you then my people will never be put to shame thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other and my people will never be put to shame it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy your old men will dream dreams your young men will see visions 
Even on the male and female servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. For this reason, there will no longer be an office of prophet. There will no longer be professional prophets in Israel. Because there will be no need for them. Everybody will have the spirit indwelling in them. And anybody who calls himself a the prophet will be known to be lying. And uh, we, we, we know this from Zechariah 13, verse 1. In that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and impurity, to wash away their sin and impurity. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land and they will no longer be remembered. And I will also remove the prophets and the unclean spirit from the land. And if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who gave birth to him will say to him, You shall not live, for you have spoken falsely in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who gave birth to him will pierce him through when he prophesies. Okay. So, no need for somebody, and nobody is going to step up and call himself the prophet anymore for Israel. There's not going to be a need. Just as we have indwelling spirit, the Holy Spirit is available to us now as Christians. And that's, this passage in Joel was quoted in the New Testament when the Holy Spirit fell on the Christians. It's one and the same spirit for all of us. This completes the prophecy of Daniel 77s. And I've given you the list of them from Daniel 9.24. This is what the 70 weeks had to accomplish. Had to finish the transgression that was, that was the reign of the Antichrist, which came to an end. Had to make an end of sin, okay, which was fulfilled by casting Satan into the abyss, okay. To make atonement for iniquity, that was Christ's crucifixion. Bring in everlasting righteousness, that happened when the, at the second coming. Seal up vision and prophecy, we just read about that in Zechariah. Um, and some people alternatively think that that, was, that occurred when the saints were raptured. Okay, that you can fig- figure that one out yourself. And anoint the most holy place. And that was fulfilled by the death and resurrection of Christ during the 70 weeks and then by the rest, reaffirmed by the restoration of the holy place at the, at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. So now we finish the 77s and, we're, and Jerusalem needs to get rebuilt. In addition to rebuilding Jerusalem, which is described in Jeremiah 30, 18, it says the city will be rebuilt. And the palace will stand on its rightful place. So they're going to rebuild the palace. Priests, according to Isaiah 66, 21, priests are chosen by the Lord from among the Jews to minister in the temple. And then, according to Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Christ chooses a leader for the Israel from among the Jews. And they're given spiritual pa- shepherds, pastors, who are appointed by God to teach them. And they finally understand that Christ has fulfilled the law. And they finally understand the gift of grace. Um, Jeremiah 30.21 says their leader shall be one of them. And shall come forth from their midst. And will be able to approach Jesus okay, and God. Jeremiah 3.15 is, is the verse that says, tells them he'll give them shepherds after my own heart. To feed them on knowledge and understanding. And they will no longer miss the Ark of the Covenant. They will no longer miss the law. And Ezekiel 20, 40 through 44 says, I will make you holy. I will accept you. 
you will know that I am God. And verse 43, there you will remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves. And you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for all the evil things that you have done. Now, during this time frame, Israel is completely at peace. Her enemies are conquered, even though there are people out there who in their hearts have made a bad choice, resist God. They have no power anymore. Okay, There is no dominion. Remember, the dominion of the Gentile nations has been completely stripped. And in fact, in Isaiah 61, verse 5 and 6, it says that Israel, the Jews, actually rule and that strangers shall stand and pastor your flocks. Foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers, but you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Many nations will come, this is Micah 4.2, will come and say, Let us go up to the house of the Lord, so he may teach us his ways. However, even though there is no more training for war, the world is at peace, the dominion of the Gentile nations has been completely stripped, there's still one final battle. How can that be? Look at Revelation 20, verse 7. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Satan is released from the abyss, and the first thing he does is go right to his old allies, Gog, Gog and Magog. And gathers them for war. He deceives them again. By this time at the end of the thousand years. The number of unbelievers. Is as many as the sands of the seashores. Can you imagine? It's the same as when Israel was brought out from Egypt. And the Lord was so visible. So direct. You could see him. He had, you know, there was smoke, there was fire, there was miracles, there were plagues. Did Egypt believe? No. Not even Israel believed for very long. When God is most visible, it seems that that is when faith is at its lowest. And that doesn't change in the millennial kingdom. They know Jesus is Lord. They can see the evidence. There is no reason not to believe. But they harden their hearts and they still refuse. So at the end of the thousand year reign, Satan is able to deceive them again. Ezekiel, remember we read a big passage from Ezekiel about the battle of Armageddon? He also records details for us about this final battle. Ezekiel 38. Son of man. Set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army and horses and horsemen, all of them splendidly attired, a great company with buckler and shield, all of them wielding swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and put with them All of them with shield and helmet. Gomer with all its troops. Beth Tagarma from the remote parts of the north with all its troops. Many peoples with you. 
Be prepared and prepare yourself, you and all your companies that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. Now, this sounds remarkably like the prophecy we read earlier in Ezekiel 39 about the Battle of Armageddon. But this is a different one. This battle occurs in a different setting entirely. Let's look in verse 8. After many days, you will be summoned. Okay, now this, is, this is where Satan comes in. Okay, After many days, this is after the thousand years, you will be summoned. In the latter years, you will come into the land that is restored from the sword. He's coming into the land of Israel that has been restored. Whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste, but its people were brought out from the nations, and they are living securely, all of them. So you can see from that that this is describing the battle after the regathering of the Jews to Jerusalem at the end of the thousand years. How on earth did Satan lie to them and get the nations to come against the Lord one more time? Verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, it will come about on that day that thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go against those who are at rest that live securely. All of them living without walls and having no bars or gates, which is obviously the the description of Israel during the millennial kingdom. To capture spoil and seize plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places which are now inhabited and against the people who are gathered from the nations who have acquired cattle and goods who live at the center of the world. You see what Satan tempts them with? Greed. Satan makes the Gentile nations jealous of Israel. Israel has been greatly blessed for a thousand years. They are rich. They have no defenses. The target is too tempting. Fifteen. You will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great assembly and a mighty army. And you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will come about in the last days... That I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, O God. Okay, now, God's, this is like second chorus, you know, second verse of the same song. This time, God has no patience whatsoever. There is no delay. There is no Jerusalem is almost captured and half the people are exiled. God said that's never happening again and it doesn't happen again. Here's what happens. Verse 18. It will come about on that day when God comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, that my fury will mount up in my anger. In my zeal and in my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all the creeping things that creep on earth. And all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. The mountains will also be thrown down. The steep pathways will collapse and every wall will fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against him on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and with blood, I will enter into judgment with him. And I will rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him a torrential rain with hailstones, fire and brimstone. And I will magnify myself 
sanctify myself and make myself known in the sight of many nations and they will know that I am the Lord. Go back to Revelation 20 verse 9 and, and it will end here. This is what happens in that day. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever.